Would you turn your Bibles to John chapter 1? If you don't have a Bible with you, let me encourage you to grab one under the chairs in front of you. You can find John 1 on page 860. I'll be reading there in a minute. Today we're wrapping up this mini-series that's intended to prepare us for this milestone of a move. Uh, by the way, we have two more Sundays. I've asked uh, my friend Dan Ying, who's senior pastor of Redeemer Montclair, to come and uh, give me a break next Sunday. He uh, committed to that early January, and it just so happens to work out well, um, at least for my preaching stretch. And then we'll have one last Sunday here on March 11th. Um, we've had a couple of these messages leading up to this morning. I know a, a lot of you were away last weekend. Some of you maybe missed the previous weekend. I just want to encourage you to go to graceredeemer.com if you haven't um, had a chance to catch up on those messages because this change that we're undergoing in the next few weeks is much more than logistical in nature. It has to be spiritual in nature, and that's why we've been talking about spiritual preparation for us as a community. So uh, I encourage you to try to catch up on those messages. Here's what we've said over the last couple of weeks. In the midst of this incredible change, and change is always difficult, how do we maintain a focus on who God has declared us to be? How do we not neglect the things of first importance that have to continue to be our foundation? Two weeks ago, we talked about our core values. Last Sunday, we talked about gospel foundations. And neither of those are nice things, wise things that we've dreamed up and invented. All of those draw from biblical truth that God has revealed to us as a community. Because who we are is defined by who God says we are, not by who we decide we're going to be, not, not by an identity that we sort of put on, like walking uh, to your closet in the morning and figuring out whether you want to put a sweater on or, you know, a collared shirt. We are who God has declared us to be, and so we've looked to the Scriptures. And this morning, I want to... Uh, go a little bit more deeply into one of the gospel foundations we talked about last week, and that's simply reaching the lost. That is how real church growth happens. Turn with me to John chapter 1. We will pick up at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry as John the Baptist uh, is uh, interacting with Jesus. Listen carefully. These are God's words, starting in verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, 
We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we want to follow you. We want to hear your invitation. We want to see. So work in us and among us and through us by that same Spirit that burdened these disciples' hearts that enable them to see who Jesus truly is. Speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this narrative, Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist, and two guys who are John's disciples overhear John calling Jesus the Lamb of God, which is incredibly striking for two good Jewish boys. Lambs were for sacrifice, and especially striking if these two guys happened to have been around the previous day when John not only said, look, the Lamb of God about Jesus, but, who added, and, and, but added this, who takes away the sin of the world. This Jesus from Nazareth, of all places, is some sort of human walking sacrifice in the place of bulls and lambs? John the Baptist was uh, finally coming into his own. He had developed a following. He had credibility. People were seeing him as a genuine, legitimate prophet from God. And here John is pointing to this Jesus and saying that Jesus is greater than he. Striking. What's going on? Jesus notices these two guys hanging around, listening in following him around, and he turns around and says, what do you want? Now, that sounds a little bit rude in the English, but what Jesus is getting at is he wants to know the desires of their hearts. He wants to know their, their motivations for life. Another translation says, what are you seeking? What, what's orienting your life? What are you after in life? They ask, in response, Rabbi, where are you staying? Because they want more than quick answers. They don't just want information or data to satisfy their curiosity. They want to be with Jesus. They want to live life with Jesus. They want to be close enough to absorb what He has to overflow. And Jesus' simple answer is positive. Come and you will see. Andrew was one of those two men. Look at verse 41. First thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. The next day, verse 43 tells us, Jesus finds a guy named Philip. And what does Philip do? Verse 45. Philip found his buddy Nathaniel and told him, we have found the, Mo the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus, come and see said Philip. Hit the pause button on that narrative for just a moment and think with me uh, about a, a typical news story that we'd come across that some food, foodborne illness has spread in this certain community. And what happens? 
CDC gets called in, right? The Center for Disease Control. And they start interviewing people. They start doing all kinds of detailed detective work. And it usually takes a while, but they often figure out what the source of the outbreak truly was. And then there's the press release. We've long forgotten about why these people got sick. But the, the finding is that some farm that grew alfalfa sprouts sold these sprouts to a food distributor that supplied three different restaurants where people who ordered a certain dish that has those sprouts in it got sick. And they traced the source of this foodborne illness back to that particular locality and they perhaps levy penalties on this farm for unsanitary treatment of the vegetables. If we were trying to trace the spread of biblical Christianity to and through Western civilization, and then especially in the last couple of centuries uh, to expose um, a, a good chunk of the global population to biblical Christianity, where would we find the source? I think we'd have to say a, a, a good answer to that is in John chapter 1, where two guys eavesdropped on a teacher who said to them, come and see. And then another guy whom Jesus found told his buddy, come and see. And if we fast forward a few decades into the centuries, those simple relational connections led to the transformation of world history. That's the source. Come and see. This morning, what we're talking about is that you and I are called to do the same, to imitate the Savior and to imitate this disciple who had just found Jesus and is going and telling other people, like his buddy Nathaniel, I haven't figured this all out, but you got to come. Three things we'll talk about this morning. First, people, not program. Occasionally, someone in the church says to me, you know, pastor, we need to do more evangelism. And my answer is always, amen, you are absolutely right. I couldn't agree more. And there's no apology for the, the failures in our church. There's no apology for our passivity. There's no apologies for uh, our laziness, whatever it is, our prayerlessness. That is absolutely true. But I'm also aware usually that underneath the surface of that piece of feedback, there's usually disappointment that our church's priorities are out of whack, that we're not organizing enough outreach events. But here's the thing. The Bible doesn't give us examples of program-driven or event-based evangelism. Instead, the simple expectation is that you and I are God's program for evangelism. We are what's on the calendar, on God's calendar. We are the program, the event, the instrument. We are called to reach the lost by simply sharing the gospel that involves, includes simple invitations. Come and see. The gospel is literally good news. We talk about good news all the time, don't we? Good news, the U.S. won gold the other night. 
good news, the, the guy we've been reading about in the newspaper finally got caught after burglarizing, you know, seven stores in two communities. Good news, pizza and fried chicken are actually heart healthy. <laughs> Fake good news, but we would love it all, all the same, you know. And what do we naturally do with good news? We, we say, did you hear they caught the guy? Oh, I'm so relieved, you know. Did you see that gold medal match where the, the double hit left four, five rocks in the house since the U.S. had the hammer in the eighth end? You know, I mean, the, the things we learn by watching TV, you know. Um, we, we share good news naturally. We, we, we want to connect with one another, whether they know it or not, and, and share that experience. How... Um, Imagine hearing good news of a whole different category, that a real cure to Alzheimer's disease has been found. How urgently would you get on the phone or text or, or post and tell your family or, or share with a friend whose mother is suffering? How, how, how passionately would you say, did you hear the good news? There's hope. The suffering is not going to increase. There could be a reversal of this horrific experience for your family. Grace Redeemer Church, how much more urgently should we be naturally overflowing the best of news, not to, share, not, not to save a life, not to extend a life for another decade or so, but to offer eternal life? To, to point to forgiveness of sin and freedom from shame and guilt. To share the good news that we found the Messiah, as Andrew tells Peter. To, if you're a follower of Christ, to overflow without having to stand up here on a Sunday morning, but to overflow with one another and other people who are willing to listen. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I'm, I see that grace story that points to the work of Jesus on the cross. Second, uh, secondly, this is often surprisingly simple. If you look at surveys of Americans' spiritual lives over the last few decades, you'll notice one category that keeps growing, and it's not the Pentecostals, and it's not the Presbyterians. It's the nuns. I'm not talking about Sister Act nuns. I'm talking about N-O-N-E-S, people who are uh, filling out a survey that says, what kind of religious affiliation do you have? And they go all the way to the bottom, and they say, none. I don't have any. I don't go to church, a synagogue, a mosque, a temple. 23% of American adults in uh, a survey, uh, I think is about a year old, a Pew Research Center, checked off none. I have no connection. And increasingly... American adults have grown up never having set foot in any kind of house of worship. Isn't your experience like mine that more and more weddings are not in churches? That, that'd be one opportunity for someone who doesn't go to church to set foot in church, but that doesn't even happen that often anymore. You know, it's at the reception hall. Um, and funerals very often happen at the funeral home and or at the graveside, not in a church. Increasingly, uh, to many, many Americans, the idea 
of going to church is an intimidating, cross-cultural, foreign kind of experience. To make it worse, sometimes their only picture of Christianity is a caricature from televangelists or from some quote-unquote leading figure who purports to represent evangelicals on the cable channel uh, when two people are yelling at each other. And it's just a sort of a stage, you know, right versus left kind of debate. And increasingly, Americans looking at that who are nuns would say, why would I ever want to go to church and hear more of that? No way. So, if church evangelism, if the mission God calls us onto involves you and I sharing the gospel, this good news about Jesus, how do we do that in a society that is increasingly hostile to the gospel? How do we begin to get our minds around that central calling? This morning, I'm simply focusing on one approach that I'm calling surprisingly simple. Invite someone to church. Invite someone to church. A neighbor, a fellow soccer parent, a coworker, maybe even someone you randomly strike up conversation with in line who happens to be friendly and chatty. Bring up something going on at Grace Redeemer Church. Talk about what your Bible study or growth group just did and in, in, in the the dinner you enjoyed and the service at the walk-in dinner on March 10th, I think is the date that, that, that we're filling, um, overflow with natural excitement and passion about what God's doing through your church. And maybe, just maybe, you'd be surprised at how natural it becomes to insert into the conversation, come and see. You're welcome anytime. In Tom Rainer's book, The Unchurched Next Door, he and his research team categorized hundreds of people they personally interviewed across the, uh, across the country, representing 50 states, all 50 states, and um, every slice of demographic they could think of. Um, admittedly, these stats you're about to see are, are uh, over 10 years old, but even if the numbers have gotten worse, I think they're still pretty striking and pretty close to what we'd have today. Two things I want to highlight. First, um, uh, look at what they call the levels of the Rainer scale, okay? It's named after the author. Uh, at the very top are people who are U5s, highly resistant to the gospel, antagonistic. They'll get angry at you if you talk about Jesus. U4s are also resistant, but not so antagonistic. U3, they're neutral. They don't have a, a bias either way. U2, receptive to the gospel and to the church. And then U1, highly receptible, uh, highly receptive to the gospel, like the Philippian jailer, who all, all, all he needs, needed was um, someone, a follower of Christ, to tell him about hope, and he's ready to believe. Now, in the next slide, look at how many people across the country fit into each category. And just focus on the top two, because if you just read social media, if you just turn on the cable news channels, you would think that U4 plus U5 is like 79%, right? Angry people who want nothing to do with, with religion or Christianity. But in fact, the survey tells us that it's about 
not as bad as I would have thought. People who are resistant or highly resistant to the gospel. Here's the second finding that hits close to home uh, about what we're talking about this morning. 82% of people who are invited to church are at least somewhat likely to attend church if they're invited. If you go out on a limb and ask somebody to come to church with you, here's the summary I'm trying to get at in a nutshell. A yes answer is far more likely than you'd think. Within that number of 82%, 45% of you fours are somewhat likely, if not very likely, to say yes. That's the resistant, right? Let, let's set aside the U5s. They're going to they're yell at you if you talk about church, okay? Let's just set them aside for, we're not going to give up on them, but we'll just set them aside for, for illustration and, and talk about the U4s. These are people who don't go to church, okay? You have about a 50-50 chance if you personally invite them. You have a 50-50 chance of getting them to come to church with you, and they're resistant to the gospel. A yes answer is far more likely than you'd think. So take the risk. The worst case is you get a clear stiff arm and no thank you, and then you know to back off, okay? And you've done some good because if the Lord does this work in them, and sometimes it, it, it's because of a crisis in their lives, right? Their, their, their spouse says, I'm, I'm leaving you. What's going on? Um, a loved one dies, and they start thinking about um, eternity and how long do I have to live? The, the good you've done without pushing is they know at least one person who goes to church and who has invited them. And who are they going to come back to? They might come looking for you and say, so uh, you still go to that church? Take the risk. Best case is, in response, you get a, what time? <laughs> and uh, what am I supposed to wear? Right? Or if you want to take the, uh, the Korean mafia approach, remember Grace O's story about from, you know, 9 a.m. <laughs> or 8.25, meet you at 21 Harristown Road, you know. Uh, depends on the friend, right? Um, but you just might be surprised at the likelihood of getting a yes answer. And in that best case scenario, you tell them, I will meet you in the parking lot and walk in with you. And you come as you are. And the, the only question somebody might ask you is if they could get you a cup of coffee. You'll love it. Let's talk a little bit more specifically, thirdly, about inviting people to GRC's party. And I put it that way, not, not to make light of worship, but we gather on Sunday because it's Resurrection Day, and it is the ultimate cause for celebration. Jesus rising from the dead is the best reason to throw a party. And um, we want to invite people to the joy of walking with Christ by faith. I said this last week, something like this. This may be, this opportunity in the next few weeks may be the easiest evangelistic invitation you will ever have an opportunity to extend to people. Why? Come and see our new building. Come and see this project you've heard me talk about for the last year, and in fact, as a church community in general, we've been talking about this project, this goal for four or five years. Come and see. Our building is very attractive. Uh, there are no dumpsters as you drive up. <laughs> uh, 
Um, you know, it's not the back of a warehouse where people say, am I in the right place? You know, it's easy to get to right off the highway. There's ample parking. When you come in, there's all kinds of space to, to not feel like you're on, on top of each other. You know, we talked about that last week. And, and let me say this. If people are, are more on the U4 end of the spectrum, right, resistant to the gospel, and they're not all that interested in coming to church for a spiritual experience, might they come out of curiosity for a facility experience because they just want to see the space? And when they come, they will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. When they come, they will see rich biblical community interacting at a depth that is just uncommon in today's disconnected society. When they come, they'll look around and wonder at this unique mix of people that one cannot simply explain except by the reconciling power of the gospel that bridges differences under the common reality that we are all sinners rescued by faith in the sacrifice of Christ. Come and see. You never know what will happen. As you consider inviting people, I want to share two things very practically. One is just an encouragement or a suggestion, okay? Take it with a grain of salt. The other I'm going to be pretty firm about. Here's the suggestion or the encouragement. A number of staff and leaders have talked about this. Try not to invite new people to come with you on March 18th, okay? I know a lot of your friends have said, when are you moving in? I'm coming. Uh, You know, you can't stop that. But try not to actively go inviting people who don't come to church to come with you on March 18th. Why do I say that? Because you regular GRC attendees are not even going to know where the bathroom is, you're going to be, parents are going to be calling 911 trying to figure out where your children are because there's 56,000 square feet. The ushers will be found wandering in the warehouse, disoriented. Some of you are going to be looking for the, the elevator to get out of the building. You know? <laughs> your, your familiar sanctuary seat is not going to exist. And Chin, there are no cheap seats anymore to hide behind the pole. Okay? Um, we, there's a lot to figure out. There's a lot to figure out. So, so let's give ourselves a couple of weeks of settling in and aim at Easter Sunday, which is April 1st, okay? Again, if people... Are, my mother called me yesterday and said, I'm coming on March 18th. What am I going to say? <laughs> Lovely, Mom. Well, you know, come on over whenever you want. This would be great, okay? So it's going to happen, but I'm talking about actively inviting people who don't come to church. The second thing I'm going to be tougher about and firm about. Please, please, please do not go inviting people who have a church home already. Please do not participate in what is known as sheep stealing. They belong to another flock already. And you can shepherd them in a light way uh, because there will be Christians from other congregations who are looking for greener pasture. And what you can do is exhort them in a healthy way, not to say, oh, I'm so sorry that's happening in your church. You can say, well, have you prayed for your leaders? Have you actively engaged in healthy, open dialogue? Not just criticism, not sniping from the back row. You know, have you done something to change that situation? That, that sounds like 
you know, that, that church could, could use a little help in that area. How, how have you contributed? Be a shepherd to other people, okay? Now, I, I'm not, when I say things like this, I'm not talking about churches where the gospel is, is utterly absent. We, we can't, in good conscience, um, encourage people to be in context where there is no spiritual vitality, right, that, where, where Jesus is not being exalted. I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm referring to situations where the, these are healthy biblical churches. Please don't invite those people, okay? Of course, again, some of them will say, I want to come check out your church, and we're not going to have guards at the door stopping them. But we don't want to be active. We want to grow by reaching the least and the lost, by sharing this best of good news, that there is freedom and forgiveness, that there is hope for the broken. We want to speak of this to people who have never heard this before. That's how we want to see the kingdom expand in and through Grace Redeemer Church. How do you prepare to seize this opportunity to say to someone, come and see? Three more questions as we close. Are you praying? Are you praying? Church growth, at least in the healthy biblical way, just doesn't happen. Powerful words of human persuasion are not going to change a heart and make a person willing to come to church with you because you've invited them. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, and prayer is the starting point. Prayer has to happen before you open your mouth to say, come and see. Because if the Holy Spirit's not at work, you can say that all you want, it's going to fall on deaf ears. And I'll echo what David already shared with you. Toward that end, will you join us on Tuesday, two days from now, 7.30 p.m. at our new building. Um, We've encouraged you to fast all day. Why? To remind ourselves in our hunger, in our mental battle, let me tell you, it's not easy to fast, that we are weak, but He is strong. To remind ourselves in our hunger, in our need for food, that um, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Are we depending on the one who alone can do what we need? So let's come hungry. Let's come desperate. If you can't join us, do this at home. To pray that 21 Harristown Road would become a place of spiritual transformation where the lost would come to saving faith and be found by Jesus Himself. If you're able to come at 7.30, we're going to send you out in small groups and you'll go to the children's ministry area where the, the ministry leaders have put together three prayer uh, requests. And in the space where we'll minister to our littlest ones, you will pray for them. And then you'll go to the youth ministry room and you'll do the same. You'll go to the, the fellowship hall and you'll pray for missions and evangelism and local outreach and say, Lord, in this place as we're grabbing cups of coffee, Lord, would you meet people who need to, to be introduced to the Savior? And I think you'll go to the office and we'll end up in the sanctuary where we will praise God and give thanks together and join our voices. Uh, whether or not you can make it on Tuesday, are you praying? Second question. Do you really believe that this good news, that a sinner can be forgiven, that a lost person can be found, that a restored relationship with the Creator is possible through faith in Jesus, do you really believe that this good news is the greatest treasure that you could ever have? Because if you don't, then it, you don't believe there's anything to come and see. 
Just carry on with your life. But if you do believe that this is the greatest treasure, then simply and naturally overflow by urgently, passionately, regularly praying and asking God to provide those opportunities and then simply saying, come and see. Third question, a little tough love, maybe preemptively tough love, okay? Do you have an attitude of humility and thankfulness? It's tough love because I'm going to be a little raw with you. Already in the last couple of weeks, staff and ministry leaders and committee members have been startled at the amount of criticism. When people walk into this gorgeous building and the first thing they think of is how they would have done it differently. Or why is this color there? Or are we going to have this furniture here? Or why don't we have new furniture? Okay. If you have an attitude of gratitude and humility, your mind will be focused on what is eternal most lasting, because if you're worried about the paint and the, and the furniture and, and the room layout, when visitors come, they will pick up very obviously what Grace Redeemer Church is all about, which is the material and the physical and the temporal, rather than the eternal and the spiritual. But if your mind is on eternal things, then your heart will be prepared to love and to serve and to give of yourself to people who need to see Jesus in you and hear it from your lips? Do you have an attitude of gratitude and humility? Folks, this is no mere logistical effort to kind of go pluck and plant from Teaneck to Glenrock. This is from top to bottom, a spiritual endeavor. And every challenge we face and every obstacle in our way and every circumstance that we have to address is an opportunity to trust God or to trust self, to see with human eyes or to see with spirit-filled eyes and tap into the wisdom of God's Spirit, to do it your own way or to submit to the will of God and ask Him humbly, what would you have me do with this moment, with this day, with my gifts, with my abilities, with my resources? It all belongs to you. Come and see, and your life will never be the same. Not because GRC has all figured it out, not because we're all that special, but because the King to whom we sing has brought joy eternal and salvation and life. Let's pray. Lord, you are the King. There is no other. And in your glorious, generous grace, you are bringing us to a new home. But Lord, what is of most importance is the work of your Spirit in pointing us back to you, to the treasure of your perfect life and death and resurrection. Keep our focus on you, Lord Jesus. We pray. Amen.